Welcome to the Graceway Sermon Cast. Graceway is a Baptist church located in Lexington, Kentucky. We have a heart for God and a deep love for people. You can learn more about our church by visiting www.gracewaylex.org. Now, here's this week's message. And it is exciting to be with you all this morning. Certainly, we uh, are grateful uh, with the gathering place at the partnership that God has has brought with Graceway. We're thankful that we're able to be in here on Saturday afternoons and just know that God is blessing in that effort. As we look forward over the next few weeks, just as you do, uh, to celebrating Easter and that glorious day, the resurrection of Jesus uh, and the hope that we have in him. Uh, we're looking forward to that with the week after Easter. We already have uh, four uh, that are going to be baptized, and we believe that God is going to bring others that need Jesus and that are going to say yes, uh, and that according to Scripture are going to cross over from death into life because uh, that's what happens in, in terms of how God views uh, that exchange that takes place. Uh, whether it's the sinner's prayer that you prayed when you were a kid, whether you were like me and you grew up in a church that you had to come to the front uh, to get saved, uh, or whether or not you might have been sitting in your living room or just wrestling with whatever was going on in your life in a parking lot somewhere. Whenever we ask for God's forgiveness and we repent of our sin and he grants that forgiveness, he becomes the centerpiece of our lives. We aren't living for us anymore then we have gone from being dead in what the Bible says is our trespasses and sins to being alive in Christ. And so we are grateful for the opportunity to celebrate new life at the gathering place, but we know that so much of that is because of the partnership uh, with you and Graceway. And so we are grateful. It is fun to be here in this season because like the next couple of weeks are going to be incredible. Like, I, I pray that you are bringing folks with you next week and the following week and the week after. Uh, maybe some folks that are near to you but far from God that need to know uh, about God's forgiveness and his love. So let me encourage you, uh, don't say no for somebody else, right? Because that's one of the, the things, the temptations, when, well, they probably have something else going on. They may not have anything going on. Uh, well, they may say no, but they may not. They may say yes. Uh, so kind of lean to the yes and invite anyway. If you've invited nine times, make this the tenth. Uh, just love them enough to invite them one more time uh, and see if God opens a door for some incredible things to happen. Know that we are praying for you uh, and certainly we're cheering you on uh, literally from uh, not only this location on the weekends, but as we're scattered across Lexington uh, during the week. Uh, I'd asked Pastor Derek when we were looking uh, over the calendar uh, and we're just saying, hey, look. And is there a Sunday that we can just come in and, and just love on, on the folks here at Graceway and maybe give you and anybody that occupies the platform a little bit of a breather? Uh, because after being in church, uh, I'm uh, turned 50 this year, heading towards 51, uh, so which means I, as a pastor's kid, I've been in church Add nine months to my age. That's how long I've been in church. Uh, I've been a pastor over 21 years. And I get that there's some times that pastors need to not be at church. That's, you may not find a verse in scripture, but you'll find that principle of rest that everybody else in church takes. 
But the pastor sometimes, yeah, maybe we don't give him the grace that he might need in those moments. I'm not saying that's you, but I've been in other churches where that might be the perspective. And so we were just looking, I said, hey man, how can, how can we maybe bless you on a weekend uh, and, and come in? And so he was gracious. To, we got the calendars out and looked. And I was like, hey, look, if nothing else, after hearing me, everybody will be excited to have you back. And so that would be a good thing. But I said, hey, but do you want me to continue in, in the series that you're doing? I know y'all have been in Romans or I said, is, is it okay to kind of go off and maybe do a standalone? He said, yeah, man, just do whatever uh, God's put on your heart. So uh, I think whether that was his kindness or he just didn't want to have to correct any of my mistakes come next week, we're going to hang out uh, in Mark here in just a few minutes uh, this morning. But I want to look at uh, what is a, a very intriguing miracle that Jesus performs that is the one miracle that's included in all the Gospels. Now, the beauty of the Gospels is that we have eyewitness accounts of the ministry of Jesus, of the things that he said and did. Now, we don't have everything that he said and did, right? Remember what John said, that if they were to include everything, the world could not contain the volumes that would be necessary to write down and communicate everything that Jesus said and did. But we have eyewitness accounts, and they all come from a different perspective, Right, I mean, and, and when you think about how we view things, like we can view the same event and come with a different perspective. That's part of the value of the Gospels. Except maybe last night, all the UK fans were viewing the Duke game and we were happy. That might be the one thing that we didn't have different perspectives on. We're just like, yes, heaven has smiled down in a moment. But nonetheless, we, we get back to, to, to the scripture here. But, but the idea that this is the one miracle that is included in all four of the Gospels. So there is a degree to which we kind of have to take note of that. Uh, we have to pay attention to well, what was going on. What are the, the principles, if nothing else, that we can take away from this encounter, from this incredible event? And the, the words will come up here in a minute. We'll get there in just a second in Mark chapter 6. Or if you want to turn in your Bibles or on your devices. And, and we'll pick up in verse 30 here in just a minute. But I kind of want to set the table a little bit for what's going on up to this point in time. Because Jesus, he's been serving, he's been teaching, he's been healing. And understand that Jesus is making a name for himself. Now in many ways that was good, but in some circles maybe not so much. Because there were religious leaders and Roman officials that were not as impressed with Jesus as other people were. But he's beginning to become known. And it's very interesting as Mark includes his account of all that took place leading up to verse 30 that we'll pick up with here in just a moment in this amazing miracle. Mark begins passage by talking about Jesus going back towards his hometown and, and not being received as well as you might think that he would be. I mean, you would think that Jesus, going back to the area that he came from, there would have been a ticker tape parade. Uh, there would have been people lining up to say, this is our guy, our hometown hero. And yet, we find that scripture says eh, that wasn't the case. I don't know if you've ever, and I don't know where everybody is this morning. I understand my story, uh, again, a preacher's kid. I got wet when I was six. I didn't know what it meant to give my life to Christ until I was 25. So I got wet at six, got baptized, had a religious experience, but realized nearly 20 years later what it was to actually repent of my sin and give my life to Jesus. The, so I don't know where you are this morning. I, I, I always assume because of my experience and what 
the Bible says in Matthew 7, all the folks that went to Jesus, you know, and as Jesus communicating, he said, we did all this in your name. And he says, depart from me, I never knew you. So I don't assume that just because people are in church that, that they're following Jesus. In fact, and I love the fact that if I'm ever in a room where people aren't following Jesus, they're just in the conversation. Like those are folks I'd love to talk to and, and to be with and be around and, and just kind of hear what's on their heart. But this idea that, that you would think with regard to, to Jesus and everything that's going on, that it would be an amazing celebration if you know what it means to have given your life to Christ and you ever go back to folks that knew you before you gave your life to Christ, you might be familiar with some of this response. You ever been around folks or maybe even it's since you've given your life to Christ and it's just somebody at work that's become familiar with you. You ever get around folks that wanted to find you by a mistake you made in your past? By maybe a moment that they didn't think was as flowery uh, as, as you would have wanted? Now here certainly they weren't going to pull up anything out of Jesus' past that was seated or sorted. But they didn't like the fact that, hey, you're a carpenter's son? Mary and Joseph, and now you're instructing? The way you're instructing with that kind of authority? I'm not sure I really want you telling me what to do. We'll come back to that. But this idea that, that Mark gives this in, incredible lead in, then Jesus is sending out the 12. Mark talks about that. See, these guys have been walking with Jesus, and it's time to stop learning as much as it's time to start living. And understand, that is the same principle which Jesus calls you and me. There, there's certainly a time for learning, and really, I don't think that time ever stops. I do believe in the adage that leaders are learners. And if we want to lead anyone in any direction towards Jesus, we need to continue learning. But it's not learning just to amass knowledge. Right? And, and amassing knowledge, hey, that's great. That's wonderful. I've got degrees of knowledge in, in plaques on the wall. I've even got one that my, my mentor professor says stands for phenomenally dumb, but it says PhD. I've got one of those. Yeah. And, and I actually earned it. Yeah, I went to class and did all that kind of fun stuff. So amassing knowledge, I'm cool with that. But if that's all we do, what does the Bible say about just amassing knowledge? It gives us pride because we know more than the other guy or gal. I run into Christians like that a lot because I, I tend to at times run in some of those seminary circles, taught in a few of those. It gives me a, a, a condition that probably needs medicine because it's kind of like upset stomach type of stuff. It just turns it for me. I was like, really? We're going to sit around and argue over how much we know and you're going to get sideways with me because you think you know more than me just because I don't agree with you. And people are dying and going to hell. Come on now. Come on. Jesus is saying, guys, you're always going to be learning. It's time you start living what you learned. And so he sends them out. Now, we don't get to have the specifics of them going out for the first time. And I, I love the different gospel accounts of, of them going out and coming back. And we'll get to where they came back and they were telling Jesus. But that must have been like really amazing. Because Jesus, in so many ways, is sending them out with authority and power, but not his physical presence. It's the first time that they've gone out on their own, so to speak. Now, he's going to teach them and let them know they're never alone. But in this case, the first time they physically try to start working things out by themselves. That must have been a lot of fun to be in those conversations. Just to see the looks on their faces the first time they cast out a demon... Can you imagine that? 
like the bug eyes that they might have had. Or the first time they had healed in Jesus' name. To be able to step into situations and speak the truth they had learned from him. Guys, understand, none of us were created to stand on the sidelines. None of us were created to be innocent bystanders. We don't have that option. Lexington does not need a lot of people that say they follow Jesus who are willing just to kind of hang out in their holy huddles and do nothing with what they've learned. If all we are going to do is be satisfied with the knowledge we have amassed and not live the principles we have learned, I believe God looks down and goes, guys, you're not quite getting it. Because I love this city. Been here almost 18 years. Raised two kids and working on a third, assuming that, you know, he makes it through this morning because he might be chewing through a wall here in a second. You might just see a five-year-old and a set of teeth and sheetrock going everywhere. I don't know. But love, love, love this city. But this city needs Jesus. This city needs the movement that began with his resurrection to get momentum. This city needs those of us who say that we have given our lives to follow him. To live what we are learning. Because you're not done learning. As long as you and I are here, there is more. There is more to learn. There is more to live. Because there are people in your lives, I guarantee it, who are near to you but far from God. You don't know them by accident. They need Jesus. So Jesus is sending out the 12 and then he gets down to, to the portion of John the Baptist being beheaded. Now it's very interesting all that takes place and we won't go into all of that for sake of time. But understand that John the Baptist was certainly a big deal. I mean he is to us but he was a big deal and had already made a name for himself as well. The forerunner of Jesus, the guy that went before. And it wasn't just that it's this weird dude out, out there on the outskirts that had an interesting wardrobe and a stranger diet. He was a powerful public figure. And it was interesting, the wrestling match that was even taking place with Herod who had him beheaded. You know, Herod, according to scripture, did not want to kill him for a couple of reasons. One, he was concerned that he was a holy man. And that there was momentum behind his following. So there was a strategic element. But we also find in scripture that he liked listening to John. I think that's very interesting. That a person in Herod's position entertained John. Not because somehow John was the court jester. But because he liked listening to him. There was something in the things that he said. The words that he spoke. As there's something about the truth of Jesus. That it's going to captivate people's attention. If nothing else, if we share, if we live what we are learning and we share what we know, there is a degree to which I believe people right now are looking for folks that actually have hope. And they're confident in it. And we are confident in things that we should be confident in, that we can be confident in, that history proves and changed lives will continually prove. But Herod heard something in John the Baptist's teaching and he liked it. Maybe it was something that he was missing in his own life. And it seemed like John had in his. 
Yet nonetheless, we find that Herod has his wife, uh, her daughter comes and dances in front of this kind of drunken party because he's throwing a, a party, a celebration. And he promises this gal up to half his kingdom, anything she wants. She goes back to her mom and says, what should I ask for? Her mom says, the head of John the Baptist. She goes back and says, I want the head of John the Baptist. Which just as an aside, when we are ever in positions where emotion leads to selfishness and that directs our decision making, we're in trouble. The things that we want preferentially, when they go against the principle of scripture, we're in trouble. And I don't know where that hits you today. I don't know where that hits this church. I have no idea. But I know that principle is one that we need to adopt. That the things that make us feel happy, when that becomes the centerpiece of our decision-making process, we are not going to go nearer to God. We're going to go further from him. Herod didn't want to kill John the Baptist, but now all of a sudden he had to save face. Because some gal danced and he liked it, and he promised her more than he should have. And so John the Baptist is beheaded, and we come to verse 30 in Mark chapter 6. Mark, in his account, tells us in verse 30, beginning there, the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass so they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up twelve basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was five thousand. Now here we find the feeding of the 5,000. That may be one that you're very, very familiar with. It may be a miracle that you've read many times over. It may be one that you remember from Sunday school lessons, from vacation Bible school and felt boards and, and all that kind of fun stuff growing up. Uh, Maybe one that you've not visited in a while, but for the next few minutes, I want to look at a, a few principles that I believe if we apply those can make a difference not only in who we are and how we live what we learn, but that it can make a radical difference in the people who are near to us and far from God. I mean, we look and we see that Jesus is around the region of Capernaum uh, and the disciples are coming back. And they're telling him what happened. Again, that must have been an incredible conversation. 
I mean, the stories that they would bring back. And I can only imagine Jesus standing there like maybe a parent or, or if you've ever given a gift to someone that you care about. And of course, you know what the gift is and you know the reaction that you're going to get. I can only imagine the look on Jesus' face was probably similar to that. Like, because he's the son of God. So, you know, there, there's no escaping that they were going to experience. But he's loving it. And they're coming back there, Jesus, oh, you should have seen, oh, you should have seen Simon. It was incredible. I mean, the first time that he cast out the demon, oh, Jesus, it would have been amazing if you'd have been there. Or, or hearing uh, maybe Andrew or one of the other disciples come back and say, that time that we healed, oh, oh, Philip, tell, tell him about that time. And Jesus is just standing there beaming. Can you imagine the, the look of pleasure on his face, knowing that he had sent his children to do what he knew that they could do, that they didn't. They didn't understand what they were going to experience. Because keep in mind, they're just trying to work this thing out. So if you ever feel like you haven't fully cornered the, the Christian faith and you don't have all the answers you want and you don't have it figured out uh, to your complete satisfaction, understand that's kind of by design. According to Scripture, the just will live by faith. The disciples are just beginning to learn that lesson. But they're coming back and they're telling him everything that's going on. And the, the stories kept going and the conversation kept lingering to the point where they didn't have anything to eat. And so obviously they were not nearly as Baptist as, as some of us Baptists want to give them credit for because they skipped a meal. <laughs> that ain't happening. And so uh, they're like, hey, Jesus says, you know what, guys, let's get to a, a, a more kind of secluded place and, and let's, let's rest. If we ever think that Jesus was so heavenly minded that he had no comprehension of what was earthly needed, we're kind of missing his divinity and his humanity together. He knew what they needed. He wanted to spend some time with them, and so they get in a boat and they, they cross over. Now, it's interesting that the, the people around who had been benefiting from everything that Jesus was doing, because Jesus had been teaching, he had been healing. I mean, Jesus was a, a figure right now. He was a known individual. They saw what was going on and they don't want to miss out on any of it. Right? I mean, these are folks that are like, if Jesus is there, I'm there. And so according to, to theologians and, and guys that write these great commentaries on what's going on in Scripture, is that when Jesus and the disciples get in the boat and they go to cross over, if you make a straight line, it's around the four-mile mark for them to get from one spot where they were to where they were going. And if the crowds, the estimate is the crowds who are there, if they're starting kind of in that similar spot, for them to take an arc around to get to where they believed Jesus and the disciples were going was about a 10-mile arc. I mean, if you can imagine going 10 miles on foot to try to get to a spot that you're estimating that Jesus and the disciples are going to get because they could not pass an opportunity to be with Jesus. I mean, I don't, I don't want to, you know, over-spiritualize the application and take it too far, but come on, there are times where, you know, whether it's in my growing up or, or my adult life, being married with kids, where just driving 10 miles on a Sunday morning to go to church would have been an argument, right? I mean, it's like, are, are we really, do you know what time it is? We are going to, it's either going to be late because you're not early or going to be late because you're late or you're not sure you even want to go in the first place. Right? You ever been in those situations? I've been that as a preacher's kid and as a pastor. <laughs> every, every time I was like, like, you're going. I'm like, why? 
because you're the pastor here. <laughs> okay. But, but you know, can you imagine, you know, there are times where we'll argue over 10-minute drives. Drives now. Or over, can you believe? Can you believe she just gave her life to Christ and her car doesn't work this morning. She wants me to go pick her up. And it is 17 minutes according to the GPS. I'm not going to get to church in time to get my coffee. They're already going to be started. Somebody's going to have my seat. These people on foot. So I don't care. And if you can imagine the scene. Because in my brain, you know, when I read scripture, the pictures painted in my mind are very, very vivid. Often, maybe a little sarcastic, but always fun. But I can imagine these people going and they're just, oh, 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 okay, all right, they're there. And they're just, they keep going. And they're doing that for nearly 10 miles to see Jesus. All right, let me pull that back when it comes to our Christian comfort in this culture. In a city that's dying and going to hell. And the reason that the gathering place is planted is because we are excited about the 10% of Lexington that is connected to some kind of church like Graceway. We're after the 90 that aren't. The 90 that may be interested in the conversation because all the people running around in this, in this ark, this rim, to get to the other side, they weren't followers of Jesus. They just wanted to hear what he had to say. They had a, uh, an ailment that needed healing. They had something going on in their lives. and like, he may be the answer. I need to check him out. That's who we're here for. But let me pull back here and, and, and get back to maybe where, where we need to, need to go. They went and they couldn't get away. And I love Jesus' reaction. He looked at him with compassion. They weren't an inconvenience. They hadn't messed up his plans. They didn't hit him with something that he didn't already know was coming. But in that teaching moment to the disciples, he didn't argue. He didn't turn and say, Simon, take care of this, please. James, John, sons of thunder, just get these people out of here. Now he said, come here. It's all right, come on. Come to me. You ever do a study on how many times you find Jesus telling people to come to him? In a crowd that could have very easily been dismissed. Jesus said, come to me. He said, well, he, didn't he need some rest? I mean, the human side of him did. Well, they had a four-mile Track, but also keep in mind what Jesus said in John chapter 4. His food, his nourishment was to do the will of the one who sent him. He was fine. And was teaching the disciples in the process. But he welcomed the people to come to him. And then they had been there so long. They were out in a, a remote spot. And the disciples were thinking, hey Jesus... They probably need something to eat. Now, I don't want to put too much in the disciples' mouths, but I got to believe because the disciples are human. I'm not saying they're not worried about the crowd, but remember, the disciples had already been in a situation where they hadn't had anything to eat because they were telling Jesus so much. Uh, and now, Jesus has been teaching for a while, and, and some of them is probably getting to the point where their belly button was trying to eat their spine because uh, he's just crawling through the middle, and they're hungry. And they're like, hey, Jesus, these people, 
I mean, we've, Jesus, we've got to, you know, we've got to take care of these people. And the Bible says, yeah, because I want something to eat. Because <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you got Bartholomew going over there, yeah, I'm hungry. I'm about to get hangry if we don't get something here pretty soon. And so, Jesus, but we should probably send these people away. Because we're in a remote spot. And, and Lord, Chick-fil-A is about to close. We've we got we to gotta get over there. Interestingly enough, Jesus says, you give them something to eat. Understand, this is the first time Jesus is going to perform a miracle and he asks for the disciples' participation. Remember what we said before. He sent them out. Live what you learn. You give them something to eat. Now the disciples' reaction is priceless to me. <laughs> hey, well, Jesus, you know, it's kind of like pastor sometimes when you go to the pastor and you're like, Pastor, I believe we ought to start this ministry in this particular area because it's a passion for you. And the pastor says, well, you know what? I think that'd be the perfect thing for you to get started. You just let me know when you got a few folks and then we'll get it going. And you're like, hey, whoa, wait a second. Hang on now. Let's back that truck up, Hoss. You know, the disciples are looking at it going, whoa, Jesus, are you telling us that we are to spend nearly half a year's wages? To get these people bread, Jesus says, see what you have. And of course, the different gospel accounts uh, talk about a boy coming uh, here with the fish and the loaves. And, and turns out that, you know, they don't have a whole lot. Five loaves, two fish. I mean, I don't know the significance. I guess if you add five and two, it's seven. It's perfection. If you're a numerologist, there's probably all kinds of other smart stuff that you could pull out of that. But we got five and two. That's it. That's all we got. Got five loaves and two fish. Jesus is about to give a master class lesson in living by faith and not by sight. You remember, I love the fact that, that uh, Thomas is, is in this. And, and not just that Thomas, our son, you're in this. I am excited that you're in this. It's, it's very good. But that Thomas, the disciple, is, is in this conversation. Because Thomas is the one that said, I won't believe that he's been raised from the dead unless I see and touch what does Jesus tell him in John 20 29 hey Thomas you're blessed because you've seen me and believe but what is he going to say blessed are those who have what who have not seen and yet believed he's teaching them right now in 4k LED, all the fun, vivid stuff that we can put on a television screen, it's even clearer here in just a few moments for the disciples. Live by faith and not by sight. That if you're going to trust in what you can see physically and forget my presence and power in the process, you are missing what it means to follow me. All you're doing is learning some stuff that you can get up here that won't ever come out here. And you're going to be nearly the screen door on the submarine. You're going to be much like the pregnant pole vaulter. You're not going to go over very well when you face the messy situations of life that people bring to you. But because, uh, because when you go out and you serve in my name, it's going to be attractive to people who have issues. It's going to be attractive to people who have problems. It's going to be attractive to people who have things going on in life that can't be easily fixed. Lives that are so broken, it's not going to be easy to put them back together. And understand, that's very much what you and I are called to, by the way. 
when we follow Jesus and we have our heads up and our eyes open for that 90% of Fayette County that goes nowhere, you know, the people you live near, the folks that you see at the gas station every day, you see at school, that you maybe see at the movie theater, certainly the folks that are in front of you in the express checkout at Kroger and they have more than 15 items. He's just like, dude, can you not count? But no, certainly those people need Jesus. But those lives can get messy. Because see, they don't come with all the Christian bumper stickers. They don't have all our fancy catchphrases just to paste on the problems and assume they'll go away. They're just crazy enough to believe, well, oh, Jesus was raised from the dead and you say he's the hope of glory for you? All right, my life's jacked up. What can he do for me? I'll, I'll enter in the conversation, but I don't have any of this figured out. It gets messy. The thing that we have to remember is the mess we were before Jesus. And by the way, the thing we have to remember is, even if you said yes to Jesus, let's don't even try to pretend that our lives aren't messy even after the yes. Because we're still trying to figure this out. We're still trying to figure it out. And if you've got it all figured out, that's probably what you need to figure out. Because you don't. If nothing else, new parenthood has taught me that. I thought I had the parent thing figured out. We got a 26-year-old who's married on the other side of the country. We got a 21-year-old. Hey, we're good. Our five-year-old is going to put me potentially uh, in the hospital or prison. I have no, I have no idea. It's, there's going to be one of the two that I'm going to wind up there. Because I don't know what I'm doing. I'm losing my ever-loving mind trying to figure out how did I get so incredibly unintelligent in 16 and a half years? I mean, I realize I might not have started out in great shape, but I'm just like, I am a blithering idiot at this point in parenting. I'm just, I, I'm not sure what I'm doing half the time. And Jackson knows it. He can smell weakness. <laughs> and he scares me to death. We're still working it out. The disciples could have said, we don't have much, and that could have been the end of it. Jesus could have said, you know what? Yep, you're right, you don't. Let's call it a day. We probably need to send these folks home. Is, is it the Sabbath? Is Chick-fil-A really open? The, and that could have been it. Or he could have said, you know what? Just, guys, never mind. Let me, let me bless this. Let me break this. Let me give you a foreshadowing of what is going to happen to me. Because in so many ways, that's what Jesus was doing in the blessing and the breaking. He was foreshadowing what we're going to celebrate over the next couple of weeks. The crucifixion and the resurrection. But he could have very easily just kind of done that and poof. Fish and bread in everybody's spot, right? In the 50s and the 100s. You say, well, why was 50s and 100s? I have absolutely no idea. I don't know. It was just easier to serve that way? Easier to count? I'm not sure. I'm sure there's somebody much smarter than me that can tell you a very spiritual application of why they were sitting in 50s and 100s. I don't know. I'm not sure it's all that important. Except that as the disciples then took the little and started passing it out, it became a lot more. And, and notice that Jesus is trying to teach them what we sometimes need to learn. That God can do a lot more with less, but we tend to do a lot less with more. And Jesus is teaching them right now. Can you imagine the lesson that they learned as they out? Right? 
I mean, Scripture doesn't tell us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. To live what we learned. And these guys are going. And they're passing out, and they just kept passing out. Like, and there's probably a couple of them that literally at one point just wanted to pass out. Because there's like, it's just more. There keeps being more. And they're going to another group, and there's more. And they're going to another group, and there's more. And can you imagine if they got really excited? Like, like the conversation from one disciple to another and one group to another. Philip, can you believe this? Dude, we got more. Let's keep passing out. This is incredible. And the first they went, what must have happened at some degree? Because keep in mind, these are human beings following Jesus. We sometimes give them too much credit, maybe sometimes a little, a little too little. But let's just be honest. They're human beings trying to figure out what it means to follow Jesus in the middle of a miracle. That they are participating in. The idea that at some point, what must have grown in this process? Their faith. At some point, they must have believed more strongly than before. We can actually take this man at his word. We thought that the Messiah had come. Maybe I'm a little more confident today than I was yesterday. Maybe I'm a little less worried about my grumbling tummy right now than I was 20 minutes ago. Maybe, just maybe, I'll be able to understand the idea of living by faith and not by sight. Paul hadn't even pinned that yet in 2 Corinthians 5-7. But they were living it. To live by faith and not by sight. He had been teaching them this the whole time. If you back up uh, into Mark chapter 6 around verses 8 and 9, keep in mind what he told them even when he sent them out. He let them know, hey, look, here's what I want you to take and what I don't want you to take. And they were limited supplies that Jesus wanted the disciples to take when they went out, when he sent them out that first time. And it really had a lot less to do with the supplies and it had a lot more to do with trusting him. It wasn't a matter of if they took a little bit more than what he said. He was, they were breaking the rules and, and he was just done with them. No, it was just, hey, guys, you don't have to take as much as you think you need. You need me. And it's beautiful what we see in this miracle, how much they had left over. They all ate, verse 42, and were satisfied. And it wasn't like they ate sparsely. Like they're looking, you know, sometimes if you have somebody over to your house, there'll be times Gretchen and I love to entertain. And if we have folks over and we're kind of surveying the food, and if it's a, getting ready to run out, you know, we might just eat a little. And, you know, y'all you know, go ahead and make sure that our guests have what they, what they need. And then when the guests leave, like we're like, oh, I'm getting something to eat now. You know, and, you know, no, everybody ate and they were satisfied. They had enough. And there were even leftovers, which I love for a couple of reasons. I love, on the one hand, Jesus rarely went anywhere at this point in his ministry without stirring up just a little bit of trouble. Just a little bit. He wasn't there to maintain the status quo, and neither are you here representing him. As according to Scripture, a minister of reconciliation, that the wrong can be made right. We're not here to maintain status quo. We're here to shake things up. We're here to stir up just a little bit of trouble. The religious leaders would have looked at the excess and thought it was excess. It was violating the law. They would have said, even in the Old Testament, God only provided for the manna for the day. And yet here, what you have done is have all this left over. I think in some ways Jesus was saying, listen, you don't just have enough in me. You have more than you'll ever need. So stop trying to do it on your own. 
Stop trying to allow the things that you can see from a physical perspective to be the limitations by which you live. Learn that I am not only enough, I am more than enough. And I can do more than you could ever think or imagine. Now, I'm not going to try to say this morning as we wrap up our time that somehow you just have enough faith and things will happen the way you want them. I don't think that the Bible makes that claim, nor do I think we can. Because there are times where I believe that, that I'm having faith in a prayer that I don't feel gets answered the way I want it answered. I mean, I'm still 5'8 on a good day. I've literally been praying for six feet tall since I was 12 years old. And God will not answer that. And I'm not happy about it. It's just not fun. Especially considering the fact that my passion was basketball. And I actually went to Georgetown College uh, to, to play. And, and it's like God saying, yeah, trust me. But no, six feet, not going to happen. There are going to be times you're going to pray for stuff a lot more important than being taller. And it may not happen. But understand that a lack of faith will always close the door to the miraculous. But faith that is willing to be open to taking Jesus at his word will open your life to the things that only God can do. Remember where we started from the beginning. Jesus in his hometown, in the region where he came from, the people there had little faith. In fact, Mark says that in verse 5, he could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people <clears throat> and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of of faith. So I guess as we kind of round our time this morning, I just want to ask you, what kind of faith do you have? And what kind of faith do you want? The kind of faith you have right now may be a little bit more concentrated on what you can see and manipulate in your own abilities. What you can figure out according to your own intellect and discovery processes. And look, there are going to be things when you put your mind to it and you get in God's word and you pray and you ask God, he's going to reveal and that's fantastic. But there are things in your life that you will experience like there are things in my life that I have experienced that you and I will not be able to figure out to our complete satisfaction. And there comes a point you got to be okay with that. Because faith's got to fill that gap. And keep in mind, I say this again, I'm not somebody who thinks that amassing Knowledge is a bad thing. I got a lot of it just pinballing around up in here. I'm 50, I've been in seminary I think 58 years. It feels like that sometimes. And some of the goofiest conversations I have are with some of the most educated people that just need to get over their level of education. They need to breathe and relax and understand that God is not a God to be trifled with nor is he a God to be figured out to our satisfaction all the time. And if we can't deal with that, it's going to be hard to follow Jesus. What kind of faith do you want? Maybe you're in that space today where you want the kind of faith that looks at that person that you thought about earlier. When we were saying near to you but far from God. And you've been struggling with the idea that they could ever give their lives to Christ. Maybe you want the kind of faith that says, I'm trusting that they will get saved. I'm believing that I'm going to invite them one more time. And if they say no, I'm going to invite them one more time. And if they say no, I'm going to invite them one more time. Because I'm believing that there's going to be a breakthrough. 
Maybe you have a situation that you haven't fully been able to wrap yourself around and it is just frustrating you to no end. You can't, you can't seem to make heads or tails, whether it's uh, of your finances or of relationships or of family scenarios. And, and you, you need that faith that all the stuff that you see keeps telling you nothing is going to work out, but you need the faith to trust that all things work to the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. I believe that's the kind of faith that God wants you to have. The faith that even when things don't happen the way you hoped, that you still trust that God is who he says he is. That he will be the same yesterday, today, and forever. That the things in your life can be a reflection of reality. That there will be ups and there will be downs, but you will never walk alone. That there will be highs and there will be lows, but he will never abandon or betray you. There will be those times where your pillow may be wet with tears, but you will wake up knowing that God is still the God of this new day. That's the kind of faith, according to Scripture, that we can have and that Lexington needs us to at least be open to. So the, the miraculous God, not only of Scripture, but of history and even of today, can do the things that He desires. So the lives of his people not only the ones that have said yes but the ones who will can be transformed through Jesus Christ his son Father God we love you we praise you for how you love us Lord you are great you are mighty you are holy you are wonderful and God this morning thank you for listening today at Graceway, our strongest desire is to glorify Christ by telling everyone about His grace. If you have questions or are in need of spiritual help, please reach out to us by visiting www.gracewaylex.org and click on the Contact Us section, or you can email us at gracewaylex at gmail.com. Our worship services are held each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. We'd love to worship with you this week. Until next time, take care and walk in the way of grace.